welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads? Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up, it's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the nerd party show in which we take a look back at all the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I am John. And today we're going to be taking a look at the movies released February 4th, 1994. Actually, a couple that were released prior to February 4th, 1994. But, uh, yeah, let's get started February 1st, apparently. Some of these are hard to tell, you know. But February 1st was Silent Tongue. Yeah, Silent Tongue, which is a movie about the marriage of... Okay, look, it's got... um, It's set in the West, and it's got uh, people in the Old West and Native Americans... And a bunch of plot lines having to do with sins of the past. And it's got, um, what's his name? Richard Harris, right? Yes, yes. And River Phoenix's last performance? Yep. This would be River Phoenix's last screen appearance. And what, was it written and directed by Sam Shepard? Is that right? I know it was directed by him, but yes, I believe it was written by him as well. Okay. Yeah. And you watched it, right? I did. It was streaming for free on Amazon Prime. And even though I could tell immediately that Amazon Prime uh, had a disrespect the aspect ratio edition, I said, you know what? I'm going to keep going with it anyway because I'm a huge, huge fan of Westerns. Uh, most of the time, even a bad Western is still enjoyable. You know, it's like, it's like that saying that everybody has about Shakespeare is like pizza. You know, when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's still kind of good. Uh, so I'll stick with a Western pretty much too thick and thin. Um, but this one was a tough one to get through. Um, <laughs> despite a great, great cast, it was so uh, aggressively mediocre as to be practically incoherent at points mm-hmm. where there are things that happen where I think they seemed a lot stronger in the concept stage than in the execution. Um, And there's even, it's just a really disturbing sort of thing. And it's almost as if some of the actors think they're in a different movie and it really seems like it is, it would have been much better suited toward a miniseries treatment, like a, a six-episode miniseries, yeah. or you know, three two-hour episodes. However, you want to break it out, would have been a much better, stronger way to deal with this than a movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah, I can't say that it, it seemed very intriguing to me. I watched the trailer, but uh, yeah, well, it's good to know that I don't have to watch it. No, you really don't, and that's it. And it's a shame because, again, just that the talent is there. Like every every, it's one of those puzzling ones where all of the pieces were in place. They just didn't 
fit right. And oh well. All right. Well, a day later, apparently, and who knows how accurate some of these things are, but a day later was the release of a movie called Fiorile. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I, I believe I wouldn't know how to correct you. So I believe it's an Italian movie. Um, I watched the trailer. I don't remember much about it. All right. Then on February 4th, there were four movies released, all of which were eh, substantial. The first alphabetically, probably the biggest, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Yes, the movie that gave birth to the phenomenon of Jim Carrey in the 1990s, and I did see it back then. I did not revisit it for this because I have seen it more than once, less than four times. That was enough for me. I'm dying to know, did you see Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? No. Oh. I watched the trailer. Yes. And I had the same reaction to the trailer that I did uh, back when the movie first came out, which was, boy, this looks really bad. So I didn't watch it once again, even though this was number one at the box office this weekend. Oh, yeah. $12.1 million. It seems it's so funny talking about number one slots at the box office back then. The numbers seem so small compared to what we're accustomed to seeing nowadays. That's true. Uh, But, uh, you know, Ace Ventura is a movie where my recollection of it is that it caught everybody by surprise. It was not a movie. Jim Carrey was the guy from TV. Eh, why am I going to go see it in the theater? I can see him on TV. He's a funny guy. I like him. Who knows? Whatever. And then people started coming out of it saying, oh, I laughed so much. And it just, it seemed to take on a life of its own. And it just, all of a sudden, Jim Carrey was everywhere afterward. And my, I remember seeing the movie and there are moments where I laughed hysterically because I like slapstick and I like silly, zany stuff. And it was an over-the-top, weird movie that just existed for its own sake but it's i i didn't revisit it but i highly doubt that it's held up as well as people would have hoped it would yeah i mean that was definitely my first exposure to jim carrey and i know everyone went crazy for this movie i remember everyone at school loving it and everything and just thinking like this is beneath me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even as like a 14 year old kid, I was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I can't do this. I, I just, I, I can't stand this, this stick. Well, so it was such a big hit that, uh, when I went to Hollywood studios, uh, in the nineties, it was not too long after this, actually. Um, I think maybe the next year or whatever, Hollywood studios, you used to have, you know, all of the different characters that you can interact with and there was there there are photos that exist of a Jim Carrey impersonator dressed up as Ace Ventura standing with my cousin and her family and me that you know I went down with them and everything and you know having a grand old time and the kids loved him loved him thought because it's a it's a living cartoon it's just a cartoon you could totally tell that's what he was going for but yeah oh well um the next movie alphabetically, from 
from this week was number five at the box office, and that's I'll Do Anything. I did not see it. I didn't either. I was going to watch this movie. This is the one that I was going to pick until I decided to watch all the trailers, which I, I almost, you know, I because up until now I've just been picking the movie based on, you know, what I've been reading about it or who's involved with it. And, you know, I, I think now I'm going to watch the trailers and pick it, ba- you know, use that as, as also a basis for that because it, this was, it was, I was going to pick it. And it looked intriguing, you know, it's about a guy who's like a struggling actor played by Nick Nolte, and then, like, his daughter, his young daughter, gets discovered and is cast in, like, a TV show or something, so he's kind of, like, jealous of her success, and she's becoming, you know, kind of a a bratty starlet, you know, and all that stuff, and, um, you know, hijinks ensue, directed by James L. Brooks, and Albert Brooks is in it, and Nick Nolte, and um, it looked like it was intriguing. It looked... Like, it could be fun, and I mean, I, I like James L. Brooks in general. I mean, as good as it gets is pretty solid, you know. But, yeah, it is. But it didn't strike me as something that I needed to see. Is this the one that was a musical, but they cut the musical numbers out? I don't know Because I remember, I remember there was a Nick Nolte movie. I remember somebody telling me there was... A, and I, for some reason, this is the one that comes to mind where it was a musical, but they cut, maybe they cut them before production or maybe they cut them after they weren't working or something. But I swear, if it wasn't this, there was some other movie that somebody told me Nick Nolte was in that was supposed to be a musical. And maybe it's just, I've got wires crossed in my brain or something. Filmed as a musical with eight yes. songs by Prince. What? But test screenings indicated they should be removed. Wait, the test screenings were wrong on that one. By Prince? Yeah. What? Yeah. I didn't know they were by Prince. That's wow. That's crazy. What? Now, see, the thing is, now I got to go back and watch this. Mm-hmm. I got to, because now I'll be sitting there waiting to see, okay, where would the song go? Yep. Because yeah. if you construct a movie as a musical, man, that's that's a very definite type of structure, you know? Yeah, if you, if you do a good job with it, sure. Yeah. Of course, would I hmm, would I want Nick Nolte singing to me? Yeah, why not? I mean, if if Prince wrote the music, then why not, right? Oh, that's a good point. That's a, that's a very good point. Is there a list of the songs by Prince anywhere so uh, that I can look them up? I don't know if there are or not, but yeah, um and not on IMDb, but I can only imagine how angry Prince was if he wrote music for something and they didn't use it. Apparently, that's what he does. Did you ever see the Kevin Smith thing? I heard about some of the story. Yeah, I saw the Kevin Smith thing, and I heard about like the whole you know, crazy requests at 3 a.m., but I don't remember the music part of it. Well, the whole reason why Kevin Smith was there was to shoot a documentary for him. Right. And then at the end, you know... He was like, so where where is this going to sh- show up? And Prince's assistant was like, oh, probably nowhere. And he's like, what, why? And he's like, oh, well, he, he does this. He, like, shoots things and, you know, records music, record, you know, all this stuff, and then just, like, puts it in a vault and never releases it. And he's like, you know, 
that's insane. And and the producer, whoever it was, the assistant, whatever, whatever she was, she's like, yeah, he's got like over a hundred fully produced, like professional quality music videos that have never been seen by anyone. I wonder if now that he's passed, if his family will, if his estate will see that those things make it to the light of day. Haven't they done that with some of his music? And didn't they release something? I don't know what it was, but I know they released something after he died. Wasn't there a fight about that, though? I seem to recall there was like some sort of fight. There's always a fight about those things. Yeah. Somebody's always unhappy about it. I don't know. I just want to hear what eight songs Prince wrote for a musical starring Nick Nolte about reconciling with his daughter. Yeah. Because I'm highly curious about it. Like, really highly curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, the next movie, alphabetically, that came out this week. Well, I'll do anything. It made four point seven million dollars. That was number five at the box office. For what okay. it's worth. Number four at the box office, which made five point six million dollars, was My Father the Hero, starring Gerard Depardieu and Catherine Heigl. Yeah, directed yes. by Steve Miner, who has would go on to uh, do Halloween Water and uh, had previously done Friday the 13th 2 and 3. Yes, uh, which, you know, I mean, you could argue proves that he was well-suited for comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, he also did a movie called Warlock starring Julian Sands that yeah. I haven't seen in decades and don't want to see again because I really liked it when I was a kid and I saw it and I don't want to tarnish that memory in any way um, because I really liked it at the time. Um, And I know that he would go on to do uh, Lake Placid, which I still haven't seen. Oh, it's amazing. So good. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Yeah. Written by David E. Kelly. So, yeah. Yeah. So I did see, uh, my Father the Hero. Did you see My Father the Hero? No, I came close to watching it, uh, but I, I watched the trailer and I was like, eh, it's not really working for me, and I think I'll I'll pass. Well, you know, I, I'm a sucker for any good, you know, father-daughter movie. You know, hey, we got to come to terms with each other. We got to figure each other out. No, mm-hmm. it's a comedy. Okay. I was a little put off by the premise because I can honestly say that um, like the premise that powers the movie is she has started telling people that they're lovers because she doesn't want the boy that she's attracted to on their island vacation to think that she's there with her father. So in her thinking, 14-year-old brain, it's better to convince everybody that instead she's dating a man old enough to be her father which, of course, leads to scandal. And actually some funny moments where he has no idea this is going on and there's a, uh, you know, there's a, a moment where, you know, a woman who knows that their father and daughter knows that he can play the piano and they're having like a talent night. And she goes, oh, go up and play something. And he says, what should I play? And uh, everybody says, play something French. So he plays this French song where the lyrics are like, you know, the thing I love about young girls is they get to be pretty older girls and stuff like that. And everybody's scandalized and storms out. And he turns around. He's like, what did I do? So there there are cute moments like that. But uh, 
it doesn't really find its voice until about halfway through. But I can say it is the first, I think it's the first Gerard Depardieu movie that I've ever watched. Hmm. And the guy had natural comic time, has natural comic timing. Um, and I know that he played the same role in the original French version. Oh, I didn't so know that, that was an original French version. Yeah, that undoubtedly helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, you know, it's cute. It's not offensive. It's pretty safe. There's nothing spectacular about it. But it's, you know, it's a cute enough diversion. Like, it's it's sort of like brain candy where I I wouldn't be averse to watching it again, but there was nothing about it that would make me recommend it to somebody. It's cute enough. Stephen Tobolowsky's in it, and he's always funny, no mm. matter how big his part is. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, My Father the Hero, it's, it, yeah, it's it's harmless. It's forgettable, but it, you know, it's got a good heart, I guess. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, I I didn't see that movie, but I did see the movie, which, which is the only one which is left. Uh, yes. Number 16 at the box office. Mm-hmm. With one point two million dollars, Romeo is bleeding. Romeo is bleeding. I did see this uh, on video. I did not see it in the theater. I did see it on video. Wanted to see it in the theater because I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan, and his star was very much on the rise at this time. And the I remember the trailers promised something that was a little Tarantino esque. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So I'm dying to know, what did you think of Romeo is Bleeding? Yeah, I wasn't planning on watching this. You know, I mean, I I read about it, but, you know, I was like, I'm going to go with I'll Do Anything because of James L. Brooks. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, ooh, this does seem like it's right up my alley. It does have that sort of Tarantino vibe going on, you know, for it and... Gary Oldman, you know, and, and Lena Olin and everything. And I'm like, this is, this seems promising. I was still a bit on the fence. And then I started looking at the credits and I discovered that it was edited by Walter Murch. And yeah. I was like, okay, I'm sold then. Let's watch this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, it wasn't good. Um, to be fair, don't really have any idea what's going on in this movie because it's all over the place and it is insane. Like the stuff that happens in it, you're just like, what? It's completely over the top. And um, I I guess that's to be admired, but I think at times like, I couldn't even tell if it was supposed to be funny or not. There's one shot of um, Lena Olin like running down the street with her hands cuffed behind her back uh, after she was just in a car accident, after Mm -hmm. she was just shot in the arm, Mm -hmm. and she's running down the street, and she, like, stops and, like, kicks off, like, the one high heel that she still has on her foot and then Mm -hmm. keeps on running, and I know I've seen that shot before. I want to... I feel like it's something which pops up on Twitter every once in a while as a gif or something like that. Yeah. I don't know, but it was 
funny, you know? I, I'm assuming intentionally so. I don't know. It's super duper weird. It's a super weird movie. It and is. Uh, I can't really wrap my head around it, but I don't think it was very good. Uh, it is, uh, my recollection of it is right along the lines with yours where I would have been watching it with my brother and sitting there and just having this feeling of, I, I don't I don't understand why any of this is happening right now. And I think that, especially in retrospect, this is the sort of thing you get when a studio sees Reservoir Dogs and then say True Romance and they say, we need something like that. We need something like that. And they don't understand what the magic sauce was that made those things work. Yeah. And so... Somebody comes to them with a crazy script and they just want to get it done. And say, yeah, 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 that. Good. Yes, crazy moments and shoes. Yeah, and that looks like a thing. Sure, do it. And I think that's how Romeo is Bleeding is born. Yeah. Uh, honestly. Uh, although, did you catch that, um, if I recall correctly, the story that the FBI informant um, who gets killed early in the movie, um, he's telling... The story of Tommy from Goodfellas killing, uh, you know, Shinebox in in Goodfellas. So, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He's telling that story. Okay. So it's supposed to be a purposeful homage, I believe. So does that mean that this takes place in Goodfellas continuity? No, it does not, because okay. there's something very special about the actor telling the story. Okay. Was is yeah. it the guy who gets killed? Yeah. Oh, it's Dennis Farina. Yeah. Okay. I you know, I didn't pick up on that at all. But I need to watch Goodfellas again. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. Goodfellas is I mean, you know, this is spawned from imitating Tarantino and Goodfellas spawned its own imitators that wanted so desperately to find that that magic formula. And the, but the thing is to bring it around, you know, full circle is Romeo is bleeding and Silent Tongue are kind of born of the same. They're cut from the same cloth, where you're looking at it and you're seeing these talented actors and you're seeing that, you know, the, the scenery in the second and you're seeing all of this stuff and you're thinking to yourself, nobody on set realized that this wasn't working, like mm -hmm. they were actually working for this. They were trying. They were. They were putting everything into it, and it will always be fascinating to see a movie like either one of these and say, where is the break? What yeah. is the specific moment where it didn't come together? And did the director know it? And did they just say, okay, well, we just got to get this done and get it out? Or did they have any sense of dread? Did they know that it was going to land with a flop? Because I know that in the case, I don't th think this is the case with Romeo was bleeding. Um, I'm sure it isn't, but I know that with Silent Tongue, it had been shot and shelved for two years oh, okay. before they released it. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's one of those things where River Phoenix had shot it two years previously, but it was released in 94. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and Romeo was bleeding. I, I don't know. It came out. I don't, I don't know if it played at festivals or what, but about, about a year before as well. So, um, I... You know, I kind of wish I would have watched I'll Do Anything. Now I feel like that was probably the one to, to pick. But what can you do? 
maybe I'll catch yeah. up with it somewhere down the road. But here we are a month in, only a month in, and we've seen already like three or four of these sort of Tarantino-esque movies, and this is pre-Pulp Fiction. Yep. So that's kind of weird. But It's almost like they were trying to steal his thunder mm-hmm. because people would have known he was working on it. Yeah. There was buzz, and people would have been desperate to try to get to you know to ride on that coattail and you know get along on there but i think that it's interesting to me because i i still don't understand the magic uh, that happens that takes ace ventura which is not a stellar comedy but you know it's it's cute it's funny you know i, I said everything earlier why fate points to ace ventura pet detective and not to my father, the hero, because they're both silly comedies, but there's at least some sort of heart and performance and sensible structure to my father, the hero. And I think, I mean, is it just that Ace Ventura speaks to a desire for lighter fare that everybody has coming out of January? They're just desperate for a little a little sunshine after the long dark month after Christmas at the theater. I think it's because Ace Ventura speaks to a younger audience. You know, you're not going to see too many high schoolers going to see my father, the hero, you know, true. Very true. Very true. I think that's what it is. But wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't, uh, because the thing is the February release thing didn't really become something until Deadpool really. Yeah. Deadpool was like a surprise smash. So obviously Ace Ventura is a surprise hit too because they were just dumping it off. Yeah, but I think there was also a thing that was happening which started changing, I want to say probably, I mean, the the first one that I remember, but uh, you know, I, I wasn't really paying attention to movies back then. Like, it was Austin Powers in Goldmember, which was like the first, oh no, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, was the first mm-hmm. one which I remember being presented as like a blockbuster. You know, this is a comedy. Mm. You know, like the first one came out in some crazy release date like this too. And yeah, that's true. Once it became a hit like that, you know, so I think like movies like Ace Ventura, they weren't considered to be blockbusters. It, it was like a surprise how big it yeah. was, you know? Yeah, yeah uh, actually, it's just because you said, you mentioned uh, Austin Powers... I remember seeing the first one in the theater and it was, he, he seems like he's going to get a mention every single week. Uh, he, he and I hung out and went to the movies a lot. My friend Joey and I went to see it. We were two of maybe about seven people in the theater. Yeah. And I remember it did, it did good. You know, it, it was obviously not a flop, but that thing didn't find real life until video. And, but I remember coming out of the theater and telling people, you should go see this. This is funny. You should go check that out. And it it was just, it's so, it's so odd to, and in that case as well, because Ace Ventura had a sequel, uh, When Nature Calls, and that one, that one did not do well, if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah, that one really right. landed with a thud. Yeah. Or maybe it's just that I disliked it so much. That could know. be too. That's possible. Yeah. We shall see. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. So it looks like this week, out of the ones that we saw, 
no real winners nothing nothing you'd really recommend no i you know my father the hero is harmless but yeah uh, of the ones that i know in this line the ones that i i mean and honestly i'm surprised now with having seen these two i've seen most of these <laughs> mm-hmm. um you know i i have to see i guess i have to to complete the circuit just so i can say whether uh, i'll do anything that that might be our surprise candidate Maybe we can report on that next week. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But we do have a number of movies coming out next week, which uh, we, we need to take a look at. There's four movies which were released on February 11th, and they are Blank Check, The Getaway, My Girl 2, and Together, T-W-O, Together. Yes. Yeah. A title so clever, it immediately makes me not want to watch it. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see. I, I've I've seen one of these movies so far, and um, it's an interesting movie to talk about for sure. So- I've seen one of these movies. Uh, I saw it in the theater, and I have uh, an aggressive dislike of one of its elements. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to talk about. Yeah, Definitely. I'm debating whether to revisit it or just to rail about it on principle. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, see. I'm glad that I've started looking at the trail. I like. I was watching all the trailers, but I was doing it after the fact. I'm glad I I, I watched all of these trailers, and I think this is what I'm going to do. I think this is going to be my thing. Before I watch the movie for the week, I'm going to watch all the trailers for next week's movies. Yep, uh, I think that's, that's a good, good plan. right? It's a good thing. I think it's a very good plan. Yeah. Yeah, actually that's a great way to do it because then you can have your own little like theater experience. Oh, I like this. I'm going to I'm going to ride that coattail. In I fact, like that. Y- you know what I'll do just to make it easier or whatever and just to make it, you know, kind of cool, I will put together play and hey, we'll share them on Twitter. We'll put together Ooh. playlists of the trailers on YouTube so I'm that on you board can watch this. them, right? And then we can just share the playlist, right? I think that's a great idea. Okay. That's a terrific idea, Mike. All right. Cool. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's like our own little version of Grindhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for this week. Um, John, where can people find you on the internet? Um, Kessel Junkie on Twitter, Letterboxd, Goodreads. You can find me here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing and floating out there on Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And Mike, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on Trek FM doing a show called Tracks from the Edge. And you can find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage. And you can find me on Twitter and also Letterboxd. I never say that. Uh, at Mumbles3K. So that's it for February 4th, 1994. Next week, we'll be taking a look at the movies from February 11th, 1994. But until then, be kind, rewind. Rewind. <laughs>